This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. I'm Dean Nelson. I direct the journalism program at Point Loma Nazarene University and, uh, and host the Writers' Symposium by the Sea. And uh, what a privilege to be able to hang out with Kevin and Donna who I met a long time ago in another country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, just 16 miles from here anyway. So, so anyway, uh, Kevin, the executive editor of uh, the Los Angeles Times, background at Dallas Morning News, Washington Post, uh, ESPN's the, uh, the Undefeated, which thank you for publishing my story, by the way, about Kareem. So that was awesome. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and Donna, syndicated columnist, uh, you've been with the, uh, the Detroit Free Press, which was the paper I preferred when I lived in Detroit, not the Detroit News. I read your paper right hey. there. And, uh, and USA Today and with the Washington Post, you still write essays and columns and uh, uh, things for them. And Donna has this really fine book. I know Kevin's written books too, but we don't talk <laughs> enough about uh, Donna's book called Brothers and Me, A Memoir of Loving and Giving. Um, so anyway, uh, thank you for being here. And um, I know that the Los Angeles Times has this marvelous history. Uh, it went from being a not-so-good paper there for a while, and the Chandlers had it, and we had Otis Chandler at our school, and, we, and it was just a really, really interesting discussion about the evolution, and then things happened. And uh, the LA Times has reinvented so many times. And, uh, and so that's sort of emblematic of how kind of journalism has gone, at least in, in, in my view. So what I, I want to start with a really general question for you, Kevin, uh, which is, as a member of one of the kind of the legacy media uh, organizations in this country, what are we still doing well? Let's start there. You know, journalism has has stood the test of time, right? It's been, you know, it's responsible for so much of the change in this country. Every major event in America has been chronicled by journalists uh, all over the world. Um, everything has happened. And, and that's still going on despite, you know, there have been some attacks by uh, people that don't like it and, you know, criticize us, but that's, like a hallmark of, of really why we're still here, you know, to, to really tell the difficult story. So one thing that is still relevant and still valuable is reporting. You know, finding out things that um, others couldn't find out if you didn't, if you weren't reporting. We, we have certainly a lot of new platforms and, and lots of people who, who will talk about news, but uh, a really good example is it's just what's going on in the last over the weekend, you know, in, in my city in Los Angeles, where the release of uh, an audio tape that was a year old involving the city council president and some other members of, of the council and a head of a labor union uh, made some racist remarks and uh, other kinds of remarks. And that has really upended politics and in, in Los Angeles, and that's through, we had a lot of reporting and great columns and, and uh, 
that's done by journalists. Right. However, well, I want to take you to my doctor's office uh, where I was in there for my annual physical, and uh, I won't go into any, you know, too much information here other than that he said, so you still teach journalism? And I said, yeah. And he goes, why? Journalism is dead. Yeah. What, where's that coming from? Well, I think that sometimes there's a, a mistake about newspapers. I'm, I spent most of my career in newspapers. And uh, with a brief interlude at, at ESPN and, and creating a digital startup at ESPN. But newspapers, uh, just by the economics of, of our time and the, the, the kind of dig, digital revolution that's made it more difficult to sustain a print product, I think something like 2,500 newspapers have have uh, folded since 2005. And so newspapers have, have had a difficulty, you know, uh, but all of business, every business has had to change and adjust during the digital era. And the thing that we have been able to do at the LA Times, man, we, it's not just um, everything you want to know about this city council fiasco, uh, but we, uh, we produce wildfire map. You know, if you, a lot of wildfires in, in uh, California, you can find out through our map, it's a digital product, where the fires are, how they're, what's going on with them, the best routes. Um, we, we also bring you everything you want to know about uh, L.A. You move to L.A., you want to know where the best, the, the top 55 places to listen to live music or uh, the best breakfast burritos, uh, the best hikes, we have that. Uh, we produce a short documentary series through LA Times Studios, uh, uplifting local filmmakers. We do a lot of investigative journalism. We have a new magazine that's been revamped called Image, uh, very much close to the culture of, of, of young people. We have... Uh, uh, lots of uh, presence on social platforms like TikTok and, and Instagram. If, if those are the places you frequent, you can have an, an, an L.A. time sensibility and, and, and people who speak on those platforms. We have um, Washington Bureau and foreign bureaus and an investigative staff and, and a big entertainment staff. We cover the entertainment industry. We get film criticism. Uh, television. So you have a really well-rounded, robust collection of work and a lot of entry points to pretty much anything you need. And it's hard to get that in one place. I don't know right. anybody else who has that in, in, in the state of California. So, so this, and this is the misperception, I think, when I, when I think about the, the, the point that my doctor made, journalism is dead. When people think about the word journalism, some people equate that with the word newspapers, right? So newspapers, the, the hard copy that gets tossed on your, on your driveway, that's, that's going away. And yet you're talking about something that's very robust and present and, and, uh, and covers an entire area. And look, for those who still love newspapers, let me, let me say I love them too. 
you know, those who love to hold on and, and feel it. And it's, it's a beautifully curated product that men and women do every day, you know, and it, it's organized really well. Uh, I used to deliver it when I was a boy. Uh, I love it. Um, but the economics of the day of, of publishing something, printing it, running it off on printing presses, getting in trucks, delivering it uh, to a doorstep, that model is not sustainable. And the reason we know it's not sustainable is because the scriptures are going like that uh, everywhere. You know? And so what you have to do is, is maintain everything that a newspaper gives you but bring it to you in different forms. And, and we all are, it's a digital society. Everything's digital. Magazines are digital. Television networks are digital. Everybody speaks to a digital culture. Netflix is digital. Uh, that's just the, the time we're in, like a Kodak camera. You know, we talked about that the other, with some of our photographers the other day. You know, there's no film and cameras, you know, we used to do and take film. You, it's digital. And because that's, that's all of, of society. So that's just part of the transformation. And, and, and for those who still get a newspaper, I cherish you, you know. It's a premium product. I, I appreciate it. And, you know, I appreciate the loyalty and commitment and to it. And, but we, we have to continue to be kind of on a rocket ship to take the right. LA Times into what I would call a modern media company, not, not, a, not simply a newspaper. We have live events. We create the, the, one of the biggest food events that's, that's all of America for a month, the Food Bowl, the largest book festival uh, in, in North America, Festival of Books, LA Times. So there's a lot of ways to, to get people's interest. And if you subscribe to LA Times, and I hope people in here do, even though they're in San Diego, uh, we, we give you a lot for, for that subscription. So, so, Donna, let me ask you a different kind of question, but it, but it goes to some of, the same, uh, some of the same issues. People like to read and be informed, in part because they want to be informed, but they, but they also like to read a good story. And this is what you bring, oftentimes, it seems to me, uh, in... And it could be about something that has happened in the world. It could be the death of Trayvon Martin. It could be any number of things. And you bring a perspective to some of these events and make it personal and uh, make me care about it in a different way. Do, has that shifted at all as, as kind of consumption patterns have, uh, have changed? Um, well, thanks for saying that. And I want to say um, hello to everybody and I'm welcome. I'm so excited to be here and to hear how smart my husband is. <laughs> Hold it. Is this a surprise? <laughs> <laughs> no. One of the wonder, I did, a, I did a, a little slightly controversial piece about um, the upside of the pandemic. And one of my favorite parts of it was at the end, I, I, read, I actually read comments. One of them said, I must be an entitled white woman. <laughs> wow. Because, That's how I'm going to start referring to right. you. I mean, I'm gonna, yeah. Because I dared to say that even in a piece that very clearly outlined how troubling and frightening um, and tragic um, this was, like everything in human life, there were good parts of it. And 
One part of it was that my husband was forced to move to Zoom. And we'd worked in separate, even when we both worked at the Post, we always worked in different um, locations. So if I'm in the next room and I'm listening to him lead and inspire and cajole and do all the things that he does as an editor, and I just, my respect for him just skyrocketed because I got to hear that and see that up close. So And, and people resented your bringing this up? Well, they, a lot of, you know, one of the reasons a lot of people don't read the comments is because oftentimes people are commenting who have not read the piece. Right. And right. who want to argue it's Trump Biden, it's climate change. No, it's, it's just all these different um, arguments that have nothing to do with what you've written. One of the reasons I became a columnist and an, um, was because I was struck by how often no, actually, by how, by, about how, by how rarely I was reading what I actually thought and what I thought people actually felt, the people that I knew, what people were saying about things that were happening. I was, it seemed like there was a surface sort of discussion, and it, was just, it drove me crazy. And so every once in a while, even though I was a reporter, I would have to feel I had to write some commentary that would say what I felt was the real truth, not just about how I felt, but the people that were around me. And even though I was doing that, Kevin was my boyfriend at the time, when I was asked uh, to become a columnist, and I was like, well, no, that's not what I do. And, I'm a reporter. And yeah, and also a terror of putting myself out there. Yeah. And because back then, everybody didn't have a platform. There was no internet where... Everybody, you know, Kevin says, and Joe Sausagehead is the thing he says. Everybody and Joe Sausagehead has an opinion that they can put out. Um, and many people will, will pay attention to that opinion, however false or crazy is, you know, the, um, the offering. But back then, it was a huge thing to be given a column, especially at the Washington Post. And I was just terrified of being that exposed and knowing that what I was going to write wasn't going to be what other people were writing. It was going to be more personal, more, I, I felt more authentic. Um, and, it, and I went to Kevin and said, you know, guess what Milton Coleman said to me? He wants me to be a columnist. <laughs> he said, you were born to do that. Hmm. And, and so I did that. And I think, I think people do love a good story. I think people love a good story has great details. Um, it, it draws you in because it, it makes you care. Right. You know, good journalism, good writing, good commentary makes you care. And so good stories will always be valued valuable. I think the authenticity um, will always be valued. And I think it's possible for, so for me, it became how do I tell my truth in ways that are not cruel, that are not, um, I, I just never wanted, as someone who grew up feeling invisible, um, as, as a black child and a, a Negro child, at a time when it's almost, if you're young, it's almost impossible to envision how different things were. When I was a little girl, you watched every, you remember the days when you turned on the TV and there were three channels, some of you are old enough, and, and, you, and it was so easy, you just, turn the, you just turn a knob and you're suddenly at another channel. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to get your son to show you how to operate 
your, your television. You know, some of you are 35 and know what I'm talking about. So back then, it, but, but the thing about it is those three or four channels, there were no people, there were no, not just, there were no people of color, none. I lived in a working class neighborhood in Gary, Indiana. And, you know, um, you know everybody, everyone worked, everybody, um, you know, had their homes. And it was a very vibrant place. And so after work, people would be outside having conversations, you know, You'd hear people calling people into dinner. It was just a very lively um, community. When somebody black came on television, someone would go to the door, holler out, Sammy Davis Jr. is on TV, and the streets would empty because it was an event to see, I'm not making this up, to see um, Sidney Poitier. There were only a handful of people, Sammy Davis, the Supremes. Just these people's appearance was such a huge validation that nobody was going to miss it. So coming from there and having the world filtered through that, the world... This is the context in which you started doing yes, your column, isn't yes. it? Yes, and whenever I look at and one, and one of the things, when you, a good story, I think people also appreciate a positive story, a story that doesn't make you want to jump off a cliff or curse somebody out or or just slam the door and not be seen for weeks. We live in a world in which, uh, I know I, before I came here, someone told me I can stand 10 minutes of news a day. And sometimes that's more than I can stand because so much of, you're inundated with so much. You talk about one of the things we're doing wrong. I've never worked for a newspaper where I felt there was enough focus on the very real, very valid, very impactful things that people were doing that were good and that were kind, and that were enlightening and uplifting and inspiring. And this has been your signature. Yeah, I've tried to do that. So I, I just remember reading about you becoming a columnist, and one of the reasons you said uh, you, know, you wanted to do this, if you could write about what you wanted, which you were given the green light to do, you said you wanted to write about life, not death. Yeah, life more than death. I rem- the thing that made me real- think, realize this was I was writing, as someone who can write with poignancy, um, I would get the dead kid piece. And I remember reading a piece, writing, having to write a piece about a five-year-old who'd been hit by a bus on her birthday. And, you know, and I wrote the hell out of that piece, but I felt the hell out of it as well. And, and I knew that that was not the only truth I wanted to write about. I wanted to write about my kids fighting over something nonsensical and yet teaching me something. Um, or our next door neighbor, and this is, a, this is, this could, this is not um, a fun thing, but our next door neighbor, our next door neighbors um, in Maryland were, when I, early on in my tenure with the paper, I became really good friends with Mary Jo, and she was a Mennonite from Ohio, and her husband a Mennonite from Kentucky, and we, and we became really good friends. And their oldest uh, was the same age as our middle son. And they became fast friends, so blonde, blue-eyed Jacob, and you know, cool little Daryl, my son. And best friends. And so Mary Jo gets a call from the elementary school where they go to, and Jacob's teacher says, it's hard to tell you this, but Jacob is saying he doesn't like black people. 
And Mary Jo's like, because you don't want to be the parent that gets that call. And, and she is a social worker who 90% of her, because of where she worked, 90% of her clientele was black. And it just made no sense on any level. Jacob was in our kitchen as often as he was his. And so Mary Jo goes to the school, Mary Jo and Tim, and they're sitting there red-faced, hoping not to be judged. And the teacher says, well, he, he just says this. We don't know what this is about. Can you talk to him? They go home and say, Jacob, sweetheart, we hear that you're saying you don't like black people. And he says, I don't. And Mary Jo says, but Daryl's black. And he says, no, he isn't. And she said, Donna's black, too. No, she isn't. He, he knew that there was something bad about blackness. He'd heard or felt or had the water or the air. There was an understanding that that wasn't cool, but it had nothing to do with these people whom he loved, whose home he was at, absolutely at home in. And it was, that's real. You know, that's, but the, and that's life. That's not death, that's life. And it's important to write that authentic story about life. And Jacob is so embarrassed. You yeah. know, if you ever meet him, never tell him that I told yeah. you this story. No, he, he's, he's backstage. <laughs> we're, 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 we're bringing him out. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a father of two little girls now. A very, um, but the, but these, are, these are the kinds of stories that, uh, that are also important. I mean, the, what's happening in the city council in Los Angeles is very important. But so is this. And so what we like to think journalism still can deliver is, is both of this kind of, of, of news and story, right? So, Kevin, let me come back to something you had said uh, about all of these things that the LA Times is doing, all of these different sites from live music to art to food to all that sort of stuff. There are also a lot of niche sites that just focus on food, that just focus on, on music. Um, and even just from a, uh, a news kind of uh, perspective, there are all these niche sites that, like the Marshall Project, just deals with justice issues in the prison system. Or uh, we have a wonderful uh, site here in San Diego called Inquire First that just deals with water issues. So with all of these kinds of places that you could go to for that kind of specific thing, why do we need the LA Times? Well, because we, we're the best. <laughs> I mean, we, All right, we, I mean, it, it, when it, I mean, I don't. I'm you not, understand? I don't my, wanna, it's a rhetorical no, question, I, but, it, I mean, but it's but, not. But part of it, that's the the ecosystem that we have. the 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 digital universe, the revolution, it allows people to try all kinds of things and right. to to go after target audiences. We are a general interest uh, media company, but. When it comes to journalism, and, it, and it's really that craft of, of finding out things that people don't want you to know, of, of holding institutions accountable, of, of being, of have, wrapping your arms around the entire place, and, and also setting up as a civic, your civic institution, you're important to the place where you, you are. Um, I don't know many people that, that do that. We're the largest news organization west of where I used to live, the Potomac River in D.C. We're, we're um, the dominant news organization 
in, in California. And, it, and when it comes to just journalism, reporting, uh, I would say we're elite, you know, um, honestly. We're like Navy SEALs elite in, in, that, in that area. And, and I think journalism, to focus on journalism, it is important because everybody can't do that. It's really hard to, to report and the judgment that goes into it, the nuance, that we're dealing with a lot of complex topics, whether that's a Supreme Court ruling that changes that's on abortion and everything that means, um, you know, climate and trying to understand uh, climate change. Uh, there's so much complexity, the, the, the divisions that we hold, how to how to live together uh, as the demographics of communities change. These are all complex that require journalists who are there on the ground and and with expertise and trying to chronicle and understand them. And I think not every place has that in abundance. I think one of the other things that that a traditional news organization like the Los Angeles Times or the San Diego Union Tribune or a number of other of of these more established uh, places also have layers of editing. I mean, as long as you've been here today, you've been dealing with reporters and and uh, and and other aspects of, of of different stories that are that are breaking in Los Angeles. I think that's a misconception. Also, is that journalists just write whatever they want and then they just post it. And uh, uh, that hasn't been my experience as a journalist. And um, and and so. I, I, I want to hear from both of you because yours is going to, Donna, yours is going to get a different kind of look from editors, but breaking news is going to still go through some filters, right? I mean, at every level, editors are important. I think it, they're the most underrated staff that we have. You know, I, I think it's really hard to, to be a really terrific editor. Um, they're they're at a, a a premium, you know, and and you you constantly need more of them, and the the good ones are really worth their weight, uh, in in whatever the currency, crypto, gold, yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're But they aren't just fixing commas. They're they're actually no, challenging I, the writers yeah, because judgment, the thinking part of it, um, how you craft stories and shape them, um, you know. And even before you get to the editing, so much of a of a great story is happens before the story is done. You know, sometimes you also are are taking work and managing stories in real time. It's the managing of of so many reporters uh, going out and and scrambling to cover a major topic um, in your town. It could be a mass shooting. It could be uh, you know. It could it could be anything something goes wrong in a concert uh and you you have to make sense of things that happen and and your readers want to they hear about something and they want to know where can i go to find trusted reliable information and and understand it and and have analysis and reporting and and then commentary and all of the things that go with and 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 feature writing and empathy and there, there's a lot that goes into to that, that's under the label of journalism. Yeah, and and I and I just don't think people appreciate, at least when I talk to the public about the role of journalism, I don't think they appreciate the layers of 
challenge and editing and back and forth that goes on before a, a major story is, uh, is published. But now, Donna, with your experience, uh, how have editors either made your, uh, these really personal and vulnerable things that you write about, how have they made them either better or worse? Because you've had to go through something before it get, gets published. I've worked at, there were, I've worked at several papers, and I would always know, there would be, at almost every paper, there's somebody who was really good, but who, who sort of scoffed a little bit at, at editing. And you would see it, you could see that in the work. I remember when I was at the Detroit Free Press, there was this really almost legendary writer who'd been there years and so many years, and I read, and I liked his work, but I remember reading a piece of his, and I read the lead five times, and I didn't understand it. And I said, well, I have a master's degree. I'm fairly smart. And it just hadn't been edited. And he was one of those people that I, I know he had insisted that it made sense and that it was probably at midnight and the person was tired and said, okay. Yeah, it's, it's him, Yeah, that so, yeah. almost never happens um, at, at trusted mainstream um, news organizations. The, I was talking earlier about how the mortification, just the, the humiliation you feel when you get something wrong. I mean, literally, your eyes flying open in the middle of the night, and then you realize that you, you, you got something, you, you, you got a name wrong, or, and, and rushing, and, you know, hoping it's not after midnight when the last, you know, and then it's going to have to run the next day. If you get it early enough, it'll be fixed for the next day's paper, but just the, you, just the, in, the total embarrassment of that. And, mm-hmm. and some of the news organizations that are very critical of mainstream news of, you know, I don't know a better way to describe it, you know, traditional, longstanding, the news organizations that have survived, the big ones. And I tell people, if, you're, if you wonder about what's real, look for, are there corrections? And one of these, one of the biggest ones, I looked to find, um, were there any corrections for stories that, that they had done? I found one over a five-year period. You do that at the Washington Post. You do that at the LA Times. You do that at the New York Times. You do that at the Boston Globe. There's going to be a lot of them compared to that because, the, because people make mistakes. And so news is going to reflect that. And there, but there will be you know, the imperative that the truth be told. And so I'm looking for that. You know, I'm looking for a complicated truth that has nuance, that may, there may be mistakes made, but, it's, but accuracy is paramount. I, th- I think actually the, the, the complicated truth is such a, is such a great phrase because uh, I think a lot of people go to whatever sites they go to for their information to perpetuate how they already think. And what good journalism, at least it seems to me, should do is to complicate your thinking, is to, is to maybe challenge some of those preconceived notions. Um, uh, Kevin, how do you keep from just oversimplifying something and perpetuating... Um, uh, and oversimplifying. Well, we, we know, man, the world is so complex. And the thing that we can do, I mean, we can, we can get better. We're like every other industry. 
you know, and I think it's important to, as long as we're still here, we, the LA Times have been here 140 years, you know, celebrate our birthday last year. But, you know, every, every period is challenging, has its own challenges. Um, I think this period that we're in now, there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation, really hard to, uh, a lot of decline in trust in institutions. You know, we see that in all the polling. And it's a really hard time to figure out. A lot of divisions in the country, um, a lot of change. And I think we have to rise to that challenge, you know, as, as journalists to help people navigate it and figure it out. You know, I think we can listen more. You know, I think we have the ability to to get more feedback. I mean, one of the things we do at the LA Times, we meet with, we started kind of community groups formed with people with all different kinds of interests and bringing them in. You know, uh, even in the in the Zoom in the COVID era, by Zoom and just listening to what people have on their minds, also explaining what we do. Um, and I I think we can we can be better because we have to be, you know, in order to, to, to be the, the chroniclers of a really um, important time in our history and in a really delicate time, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've touched on a number of things there. I, I read something uh, recently that said, here are, here are the five big concerns for the future of journalism. I'd love to hear you just kind of pick on any one of them, uh, and both of you, and, and see what you think. One of them is that uh, platform companies have control uh, uh, of access to audiences as opposed to a legacy news organization. So you publish something in the Washington Post. Somebody isn't going to see that necessarily because they're reading the Washington Post. They're going to see it because somebody retweeted it or posted it on Instagram or, or, or something else. So so that platform company kind of controls access to the audience in, in many ways, as opposed to, I wonder what the LA Times has for today, or I wonder what the Washington Post has today. So that's one concern. Um, another is that algorithms uh, are the things that determine now value and interest in the culture, as opposed to people sitting around uh, a newsroom and saying, this is, you know, doing that kind of agenda setting uh, of human beings that uh, used to happen. Uh, there's a waning public uh, attention span. So there's that. Uh, traditional business models just aren't working. We've uh, alluded to that somewhat with uh, uh, the hard copy of, of a paper. And... Uh, now, these niche kinds of uh, diversity uh, kinds of areas as well. You want to pick any of those five and tell me, uh, tell me well, why the world isn't ending? Well, I mean, you, you just explained why, why we're here, why, why, we have, why we're still in this, this business and profession. You know, all of these are challenges. So, so yes, check to all of those things. But... Uh, I mean, I'll start with the one at the end about the revenue part of it, about it, because we are a business, and man, we we need people to subscribe. I mean, in the same way that they got newspaper subscriptions, we need them to have digital subscriptions. Uh, we we need to get people who didn't grow up with a newspaper, for which that noun doesn't mean much. 
yeah. to them. And we have to find ways to reach them. And sometimes we reach them on the platforms they are. They might be on Twitch or on TikTok or other platforms. So the platforms can aid us in in the discovery of the LA Times. So uh, so that's one thing. But we, we have to also develop other revenue models. Uh, and that's why we have live events and Hey, that's why I want to do a soundtrack of L.A. Maybe we can produce a Grammy award-winning uh, uh, album uh, that we can produce. Uh, we do documentaries or maybe we scripted uh, kinds of projects, movies, uh, out of the journalism we do. And we, we license it to the studios. And so we have a hit Disney movie or a hit Netflix movie based on journalism that that the LA Times does. So we have to figure out other revenue streams, other models, and, and also let people know that the journalism is the foundation of everything. But then we, we have other things to envelop the journalism, surround the journalism. Um, the platforms, you know, that's a challenge for the, the Facebooks and, and others because that's also uh, Twitter. The, the, that's where a lot of the disinformation happens you know they happen on these platforms and so different disinformation needs to be policed you know and it needs to be rooted out and it's very difficult to do that because we're not going to be a really great society with if we're an uninformed society the uh you know is it the washington post that has the line democracy dies in darkness uh uh without an informed citizenry uh democracy just simply doesn't work. And yet, there are a lot of places that look really convincing uh, that are just not true. What do you do about that? What do you do about that, Donna Brent? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin needs some time to think here. So what do you do about that, Donna Brent? I try not to lose my mind over it. It's tragic. And it's so um, hard to combat. Uh, it's why forums like this feel important. Um, I, th- I think about this a lot, and I don't. There aren't easy answers for me. You know, I'm glad that um, the the platforms that I'm connected to work really hard to um, to tell the truth and to and for that to be their calling card, and for that to and and we were talking earlier about. Um, you know, you want people to be smart and to, to, to realize that a legitimate news organization is one that will tell the story that does not support what supposedly is their point of view. So when people talk about the liberal um, media and, they, and they're talking about places like the Times and the Post and the New York Times, uh, you're the Times is what I meant. Um, yeah, what they're not noticing is that those those organizations are telling stories counter to what is a, lib- a liberal story. You know, Hillary Clinton's emails was one of my favorite examples. That came from the Washington Post. You know, these stories are, are I'm, I think I'm remembering that right. Um, I read sto- stories in the LA Times that, Times that do not support what would seem to be a liberal point of view. And, and that's how I know that I'm getting I'm likely getting a much more accurate picture than one that tells me what I want to hear. 
over and over again. And, I, and I'm happy to hear what I want to hear. <laughs> I think a lot of us are, and that's part of why we're in trouble. And it's, and it's one of the things I liked about the tactile paper was that when you go through that, you would, you, know, you would have to bump into stuff you weren't that interested in or stuff that wasn't important to you until you saw that story and, and you were forced to engage with it. And I think we're less forced to engage with that which we're uncomfortable with. And so one of the things I try to do as a writer, and you talked about, about my process, is to try to engage people on un, you know, uncomfortable topics um, without attack and judgment and condemnation because of the, I'm just so um, inspired and empowered by our samenesses as opposed mm-hmm. to our differences. And the more we are open to each other, um, just the better off we are. I'm incredibly corny this way. Uh, but, I, you know, I think, you know, that the good stuff is corny. And that's, I want more of that. The good stuff is corny. It's, that's good. But You know, Fred Rogers, the corniest man on earth. And yeah. what a model for yeah. So, corny still matters. Uh, uh, it, it's, it, still, uh, it, it still has value. I, I totally agree. Um, I learned a lot about um, parenthood just reading your columns. Uh, I've never been a black woman. <laughs> I, and yet, when I read what you've read, what, what you've written about relating to your sons, mm-hmm during difficult things, difficult conversations to have with your kids, difficult conversations to have with your husband. Um, I learned something. So, uh, and I wouldn't call it corny. Thank you. I, I, I call it insightful. Uh, uh, Kevin, the LA Times started this social media thing called 404. Uh, Everything extremely L.A., everything extremely online, it crashes together, it says, to make something new. Okay, there's no actual information in that description there. But then we've got creators, writers, artists, filmmakers, and puppets. What's, have, what's going on there? We have, a, we have a puppeteer as part of it. I mean, that's part of... It started with an idea about... A meme team, you know, memes are part of the, the, you know, the, the sauce that's on the internet. You it's know, part of the grammar get, of, uh, of, of you know, how we relate and, to and, each other. And so we started talking about that, and, and it really became kind of, we were creating a, a social content creation team, you know, and... and Oh, what does that even a, mean? A social well, content well, creation team. Meaning, what, what does that mean? And and we have somebody that is um, a whole new position that's overseeing this group. And so, to make original work for uh, social platforms—that's what it means—to produce original work for social platforms in in the language and form that you know is consumed on social platforms. And so we started with. With, with Instagram and, and TikTok being the primary platforms. And so, you know, the idea was to, to reach audiences not so much with the traditional model of social teams, was to you, you produce your journalism in the Washington Post or LA Times, New York Times, and then you amplify it 
on the social platforms. And, yeah, you do and, it in this method and, that and would work. And you amplify, here. you push it right, out. Right, right. You know, you link to it and you say some words and you share it. But this is, I think, in, increasingly the, the the internet is a place that, that wants and rewards originality. You know, and you you need to make things that are just for the internet. And so the the idea was not to simply uh, was to to use this team to to create work around topics that is in the voice of all of these different creators that we're doing. And so it's an experiment. One thing that you have to do if you're in any kind of news, you have to experiment, you have to try things. And this was was an experiment and we got the team together they and they went out and they're and they're doing it. And they're I would still call it it's something that's evolving. And one of them is uh uh Safi, my guy, the puppeteer, and I, I actually like him. He has a bit. Uh, there, there, there are others, and so everybody's practicing their craft on social platforms. And are they reporting news? Uh, I, not, not news as we know it. No, they're but, not covering but things a city that are that are, that are right. things that are just this that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, things that that happen. You know, and it could be about climate. It could be about. Um, Hey, it could be about the city council and the difference of uh, of uh, our city council with other councils. Mm-hmm. It could be it could be all kinds of things, but but um, not not so much. They're they're not trailing the work that we're producing and then taking that and amplifying it. They're trying to do original work. Yeah. So this is actually a really good example of a way to think about journalism other than in this traditional way of yeah, a newspaper. We have a lot of different ways. We have a utility journalism team. They are, are taking things that are uh, explainers, and you might want to know something more about a particular uh, uh, news event, and they may give you... A Q and A, or or mm-hmm. an explainer, or or some maps and graphics that 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 tell you more, and and um, and so we have a lot of different entry points to the LA Times. Where's all this going? Straight up, oh, <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? Well, I I think that to me, I think if you're building like a modern media company, then you need to have ways to reach an audience that did not come to you in the traditional ways because that audience, unfortunately, is, man, getting, getting older and, and, uh, and they're not going to be with us all the, the time. I mean, and, and so, you know, those of us who have kids and grandkids and, and others who are, who are coming up, we still want we still want the LA Times to be for them, you know. And even if we're not, if they didn't have the chance to get that newspaper delivered to them, and to pick it up and to sit there, you know, as I did with my dad and and learn about it and share it and read it, and I still like to do it. But I want to give them a chance to absorb the LA Times in the ways that they want to absorb it, and that could be through our food coverage, you know, and our, we're working on our 101 list of the 101 um, uh, best restaurants, again, and uh, cooking shows, you know, 
a digit, you know, it, it could be through all kinds of different access points. Uh, events for them might be poetry readings. Yeah. And yet, there's still this really important function of accountability yeah. that, that news organizations hold the powerful accountable, just as you've been with the, sh- the L.A. County Sheriff, for instance. Yeah, we do some tremendous work there. The, the, the L.A. Sh- County, you know, largest sheriff's department um, in the country, been very uh, much holding uh, the sheriff's department accountable. We just did a tremendous investigative series, you know, on, on the cannabis industry, the legal and illegal cannabis industry. Um, and that was, you know, months of, of reporting uh, by, you know, our investigative group. Um, recently picked up an award for a series on extreme heat and just how the, it, it's not known um, the, the deaths by heat are much greater than the state you know, said they were um, based on our reporting. And so it's just there's a lot that you can do through reporting, but we can do, as you mentioned to Donna, some of some of other things. We have some tremendous columnists and and people who write lovely features and we can have an essay on what it's like to be lonely in L.A., which is one of my favorite things last year. Hmm. Twenty one ways to be lonely in L.A. if you like to be by yourself. So it's just. It's a lot of a lot of ways to come and a lot of entry points. So, yeah, I, it, I I want to go back to the L.A. County Sheriff thing for a minute because uh, that reporter who who has really held those folks accountable has paid a price for this, and it sounds if if I just look anecdotally, I'm wondering is it getting more dangerous to be a reporter in the United States? Because her her face, you know, was right there in in the in the the sheriff's presentation. She was basically called an enemy. And yeah, our our reporter uh, Eileen Chekmedian is, um, you know, a tremendous reporter. One of the, one of the best beat reporters that I that I've seen. I've told her this many times. And and yeah, we had a sheriff that, you know, called her out. Had a criminal you know, alluded that she was under criminal investigation for reporting about uh, something, you know, that that went on inside the jail involving sheriff's deputies. Um, And, uh, you know, she's been a relentless uh, reporter. But but to your point, we we do worry about reporters. I mean, and and we take steps to to protect them. Uh, You know, one was killed in in Las Vegas, not one of ours, but but. But that was just the latest example of the threat to reporters for, for doing accountability reporting that's so needed in this country. So, yeah, we, we take great measures to protect reporters. And, and uh, we have a lot of reporters that no, ma- no matter what, they're, they're out trying to get the story. We've, we've alluded to business models and we've got to do things differently. We can't just sell display ads, you know, uh, to, to, the fr- to the furniture store, to the car dealership or whatever, the, the, the way it used to. So we've got these different things going on. You've got events, you've got newsletters, uh, all, all of that. But there are other models, too. There's a nonprofit model. 
So Voice of San Diego, for instance, sure. uh, 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 sort of an NPR kind of model. But, but the one that, that you all have, you've got this billionaire owner who, um, I mean, that, there's a history of that, of having uh, wealthy people own a news organization and how involved that billionaire owner or a family member might be, because there have been issues with that with the LA Times. Um, is, is that a sustainable thing, to have a, a, a wealthy owner who, who just kind of funds this thing? Well, it, it is when you have a really great one, you know, like the Soon Shones. You know, we'd all love, you know, if there was a Patrick and Michelle Soon Shone and a lot of other cities, that would be a great thing. I also worked with Jeff Bezos when he bought the, the Washington Post. Whatever people think about Jeff Bezos and lots of opinions about Amazon and other things, he's, he's been a great, he, he backed the Washington Post. And, and Patrick also, you know, helped to lift the LA Times and, and the San Diego and, and Union Tribune. And the San Union Tribune. Yeah, he's helped to, to lift it and supported it and, and been there. You'd all like to, to have owners like that. And so, uh, you know, the Henry's in Boston, the, the, the Boston Globe owners, but all billionaires not created equal. You know, uh, like I say, there, there have been some that destroyed news organizations. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad. I think that is a model and you would love to in, in the cities, whether it's Cleveland, Detroit, and other places, you know, uh, you love for people to come in because when you have local ownership, that's really people who know and they're of the place, they can really help to, to, to lift local news order or start something new, as, as, as Stuart, Stuart Bainham did in, in Baltimore. With yeah, the Baltimore, Baltimore Banner, Banner is, is a great example. Uh, run by our former managing editor, uh, Kimmy Yoshino. So, uh, and in other places, the nonprofit model is a good model too. I support. Any, any model that helps lift local news. Capital B, um, which, is, uh, which is, I think, partly based in Atlanta and partly based in, in New York that's focusing on, you know, very black-oriented news. But there's been chalkbeat, focus on education. There's been a lot of nonprofit models. And so, yeah, I'm, I think that is a model. Okay, so it could, there's room for all of this. There, there's room for it. We're in the for-profit business, so we've got to make money. Yeah. As news people, as news organizations, what should we be doing that we aren't doing yet? Donna, let me start with you. I'm struck by how, in some ways, the modern news, news organization, like the LA Times, um, is better than anything that came before it. You know, there's, there are more offerings, there's more diversity, there's more um, points of access. There's, it's just bigger and more vibrant than the newspapers that I loved um, and worked for could ever be. You know, it's, you know, the internet is like everything in human life. It's wonderful and it's, in, it's total crap. It's, <laughs> and the wonderful part of that um, is wonderful enough that it deserves more attention. It deserves more um, subscriptions. It deserves more trust. And it's figuring out how to. And you know, I'm 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 a tough judge on these things. Um, I don't say that easily, but that's actually the truth. And 
convincing more people of that and if, just to come in and observe and see that the truth of what I'm talking about. It's how do we, I think that's what needs to happen is figuring out how to get the word out um, in ways, in, 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 in this incredibly complex world that we live in. You feel pretty strongly also, Donna, about citizens have a role to play here in, uh, in how news happens. You think there ought to be more subscribers, right? Absolutely. And, and not because you know, that's what pays my bills ultimately, but because I want this society to work. You know, I have sons who, whose lives and interests I want support. I have the most adorable grandson on earth. I want him I'm, to... I'm, I'm going to challenge you. <laughs> But go ahead. Okay, let's say it's a tie. Um, I look at you know all my friends. Uh, I look at people's babies and grandbabies, and I want this world to work. And I think the work that's happening um, at the best news organizations are, help to make this world more more rather than less sustainable. And the only way that's going to work is if people absolutely support it. So that's figuring that out. So Kevin, yeah. I think, look, I, a couple things that I think, and we're doing some of it, but we, we should do more. You know, I, I think we have to get closer to our communities. You know, I think we have to get closer to the readers and the, and the readers that we would like. I mean, those that we don't have. We've got to go, we've got to go earn our, earn their support. We got to go to them and earn their support, you know. And and I think we have to do that. There's so many, there are lots of communities. Uh, LA is such a rich place just to start, but but I think this is repeated in every community. There are places that are not connected to a news organization. Some people have no relationship to it, and and so you got to do things. Sometimes before you get them to subscribe, you got to do some other things. You know, I'm prepared to have some block parties, you know, for your kids. I'm, uh, you know, I'm prepared to do whatever it takes. Um, and and I think we have to to do that. And and sometimes turn the lens, give give people the cameras themselves, let them record and document their own communities, and find a way to to bring that back and share it. So that's one thing. And I think partnerships. I mean, we're in a big place. There's there we can't do it all ourselves. Sometimes. We need to extend, we do some partnerships, but we need to extend uh, the range of them and, and you know, sometimes partners with foundations and, you know, community-based places, uh, other journalistic entities that we haven't partnered with before and, and find sometimes ways to extend our reach. Um, and those are, those are two important things. And, and then I'm always about experimentation. It's just this is the time we're living in. We just have to try things, you know, and then if they work, let's do more of them. And if they don't, let's try some other things. I think that's just a really enlightened way to approach it. Would you thank Kevin and Donna for being here? You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, Visit us online at uctv.tv.